Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for home theater geeks is provided by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Home Theater Geeks with Scott Wilkinson, recorded March 14th, 2011, episode 57. Runco goes 3D. Hey there, Scott Wilkinson here with UltimateAVMag.com and HomeTheater.com. Today's guest geek is Bob Williams, Chief Product Architect for Runco International. Hey, Bob, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. Thank you. Uh, those of you who are tuned into the live video stream at live.twit.tv or logged into the chat room at irc.twit.tv can post questions for Bob, and I'll pass along as many as I can. Now, today we're going to be talking mostly about the Runco D73D, a unique 3D projector, which has a lot of very interesting features that uh, I want to get into here with Bob. So, uh, Bob... Tell us, just give us an overview of the of the projector, if you would. Well, the uh, the Runco D73D is a dual LED engine projector. It's uh, um, designed to be be able to support double the brightness of our typical LED projectors, and uh, it can also do 3D with with one projector representing your left eye and the other projector representing your right eye. And there so, we see a picture of it. For those of you who are watching the uh, the video stream, uh, we see a picture of it. And it, in fact, looks like two projectors stacked on top of each other. <laughs> yes, and it is in our new uh, industrial design, our Copenhagen industrial design, which uh, is debuting with that projector. Mm. Uh, Didn't that also, wasn't that also in your um, uh, 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 LED 2D projector, though? No, uh, our LED 2D projector still uses our uh, the classic design that we've had in the past. The one oh, okay. that All we right. affectionately call the tuxedo design. <laughs> so wh why is this called the Copenhagen design, I have to ask? Well, it's based upon the uh, inspirations from uh, the Scandinavian design philosophies that uh, we've had. And our industrial designers came up with that term to kind of coin the entire look of the product. Mm-hmm. Of course, it makes me think of the Copenhagen interpretation to quantum mechanics, but I'm sure it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely positive it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, why did you take the dual projector approach as opposed to the single projector approach, which most other companies have taken? Well, I mean, to 3D uh, is what I mean. Sure, I understand. Uh, so to actually talk about that, it's um, I guess I should go into the, the history of the product the uh, our original uh, Q750, which is our LED projector, mm. was uh, well received. We had great reviews. It has you know very high contrast, very good colors. Um, but one issue that it uh, that it has is that it can't go on a really big screen because it's LED based, and LEDs at this stage in their history are a bit dimmer than uh, than mercury lamps. Mm -hmm. So so what we did is uh, we started out thinking, oh well, we can stack the projectors and uh, create a double brightness LED projector. Mm -hmm. and, and it was right around that time when the 3D craze hit at CES. Uh, this was, uh, I guess, early last year. And uh, once we had the, the concept of having two LED projectors, we thought, well, wait a minute, this would be great for 3D too. So uh, 
Hence, we now have a D73D, which is our uh, dual projector, uh, dual eye projector. So you have everything you need for a bright LED projector and everything you need for a 3D projector at the same time. Mm-hmm. You so, also make a, a, a 2D LED projector that's stacked as well. Didn't I see that at CES this year? Yeah, it actually looks identical to the D73D. And really, the um, uh, it, it's really an, a processing difference only. The product mm. is the same. It doesn't have the polarizers, the automatic polarizers on the front of the product. But other than that, it's uh, essentially the same platform that the D73D mm-hmm. is. Now, Dave A. in the chat room asks, uh, how large an image can they project and still stay lined up? I, I assume the size the size of the image and the convergence or the uh, lining up of the two images are not related, are they? No, and in fact, if you're uh, the farther away you are from the screen, the easier it is to line up the images because you have less offset required between the two projectors. Mm. So it, there's really, the only limitation is the total brightness, the light output itself. Right. wouldn't allow you to go above a certain size. And, and so, what, what size, it, it depends on how much gain you have in your screen. Ah, so and we're going to talk about screens later because uh, you need a special screen on the, in this particular case with this projector. Yes, that's correct. Uh, for for any 3D implementation, you need a special screen. That's our argument already. So whether, uh, even uh, with even with active shutter glasses or Dolby 3D. Yeah, well, the, the problem is because of the efficiency loss of en- either of those two techniques, you you're going to get a new screen anyway. You need you're going to need a new screen just because you have. You know, with uh, with shutter glasses, you have about a twenty percent throughput, and with uh, with the the Dolby type glasses, you have about a ten percent throughput. So really, uh, that that low? I didn't realize that. I thought Dolby was a little higher. Well, it depends what kind of lamp you're using. So mm. um, the Dolby implementation works is is really tuned for uh, xenon lamps, which have a broad spectrum. Yeah, and uh, the UHP lamps, which are used in the consumer projectors. Uh, generally uh, have a very spiked response. So using a, uh, a, a the matrixed um, color uh, technique to try to separate the colors out is very difficult with, with the spiked response because you're separating out a spike in, in, in the lamp. So uh, you ah. end up with a very low efficiency. And I, it's, didn't, it's much, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and what happens is your efficiency in one eye is much less than the other eye. So uh, you end up having to compensate for the deficient one, if you want. Now, wait a second. You mean, you mean one of my eyes is less efficient than the other, or are you talking about the two images coming off the two projectors? When you, uh, when you use the Dolby system or the Infotech system, both of mm-hmm. those are, are actually different. Uh, uh, you know, the way they, they band pass the colors. Uh, one eye ends up being less efficient than the other eye. Oh, I do- see. I see what you're saying. Let's... Um, Let's take a moment and go over the three basic types of 3D technology, or we should really say stereoscopic imagery, because I think I tend to think that 3D as a term, it's very convenient, it's shorthand, it's great for that, but it's not exactly the same as what we're talking about when we look at a 3D image on a movie screen or, or a TV screen. That's really what we should more technically correctly call stereoscopic imagery, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, the, using, using the term 3D, you're really doing only one thing when you're, when you're creating these, these alternate eye images. You're, you're tricking your eye into thinking that uh, 
in, into uh, divergence required that would that would make the image appear closer or farther away. And that's the only thing you're doing. So in real 3D, there's lots more cues than that. Uh, but even within you know the the whole concept of just tricking your eyes to, at different points of views, there are different technologies as well. Right, and there are three basic technologies that are being used currently to simulate 3D using stereoscopic imagery. And really the basic premise is you need to make two different images, one for the left eye, one for the right eye, and then you need to isolate them so that your left eye sees only the left eye image and your right eye sees only the right eye image. And uh, so there are three different ways to do that. Uh, tell us, uh, Tell us about those three ways. Okay, well, the, the way that uh, typically is done at the, at the lower end of projectors, for instance, would be to use uh, what's, called, what's known as frame sequential. And, that, and what, it, what they do is they use shutter glasses and uh, a single projector. And uh, one, when it, the shutter glasses closes one eye and shows the image of the corresponding the other eye, which is open, uh, and then, then quickly shows the, uh, the opposite eye view and does that at a high enough frame rate that it, that it appears that the images are continuous. And that's what's uh, used for most flat panel TVs, certainly, as well as some projectors. That's correct. Uh, although some flat panel projectors use uh, uh, an interleaved technique also. Right, which we'll get to in a second. Bowl, right. That's right, that's right. And that is, in fact, starting to get a little more press these days. Uh, since LG and Toshiba, I mm -hmm. think, announced that they were going to start using that technique in their right. flat panels. But we're talking about projectors today. So let's stick with projectors. Yeah. So we have active shutter glasses, which is one approach, mm -hmm. or frame sequential, as you call it. Right. Um, then we have the Dolby system, which we were mentioning, and I'm saving the mm -hmm. one you're using for last, <laughs> um, uh, in which the two images, well, you explain it to us. Well, in the Dolby system, what they do is they take a portion of each color and and uh, allow that to go to each eye. So in a typical projector, you have red, green, and blue being projected simultaneously. And uh, what they do is they, they take half of the blue and, give, and send it to one eye and take half of the blue and send it to another eye, and, and the same for green and red. And... Uh, and we should say so, here we should say here that um, when you say half of red half of red to one eye and half of red to the other and the same for green and blue and so on that really red green and blue are not a single wavelength but rather right. a a band of wavelengths so I think yep. what you're saying is that they take say the longer red wavelengths and send them to one eye and the shorter red wavelengths and send them to the other eye and the similar yes. thing with green and blue. Right, that's correct. So essentially, they're, they're, they have to create a six-color system instead of a three-color system. And what, what that amounts to is, is creating these very fine bandpass filters for the colors that only allow a certain, uh, up to a certain frequency of green to, to go to, for the green on one eye, and then after that, the rest of the green goes to the other eye. So it's very complex. It's actually more complicated at the projector side than at the, at the glasses side. So the glasses can be made cheaper and the filters and the projectors. But still, it's relatively expensive to do. It uses what are known as dichroics, which, uh, which, which reflect the, the, the light that isn't supposed to go back into the system. So there are some issues associated with that. For instance, you generally have to have shades over the eyes. 
Otherwise, you'll see a reflection of your eyes in the glasses because unlike hmm. polarized systems, it's, uh, it reflects back any light that it's not sending through. Wow, I don't remember ever seeing that. I've seen several uh, pre- presentations in Dolby 3D, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't remember ever seeing that. Hmm. You, yeah, well, next time, yeah, I mean, we I'll, try to I'll hide watch the out for it next time, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the best technology use is when people don't notice things. So, of course. And I'm, so I'm, but, but as an engineer, I have to know all this stuff uh, in order to make clear decisions about wh- what technology to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say that uh, that it doesn't work well. It's just that there are some issues that uh, with with the uh, the six color system like Dolby and Infotech that mm-hmm. uh, do not exist for for uh, for the absorptive systems like the uh, polarizer. Right, which is now our third type of stereoscopic imagery, and the type that you have selected for the D seventy three D. So run us through the basics of that. Okay, so the way we do the separation of the eyes is uh, we run two continuous projectors, one for each eye. And uh, in front of each projector, we have a, a polarizer, a linear polarizer, typically, although we, we do also have uh, circular polarizers available for those who want them. But a linear polarizer, which takes, uh, they're essentially in light, in, in random light, you have equal amounts of two polarizations that are 90 degrees to each other. And uh, what you do is you essentially filter that in front of the projector so that only one, you're only filtering all of the, the polarization that's going in one direction for one eye and all the polarization is going 90 degrees to that to the other eye. And, and we should that, say just for those who, who might not be familiar with this, that um, light being an electromagnetic wave, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a wave. And so the polarization is the direction in which the wave is vibrating. That's right, yes. And so we can talk about vertical polarization in which the wave is vibrating up mm-hmm. and down vertically, and we can talk about ho- horizontal polarization in which the wave is vibrating horizontally back and forth. And so That's what right. you're saying is you take, you, and in general, in light generally, just coming from the sun or a light bulb or, or an LED or whatever, uh, the, that polarization is random. And right. you're saying you put a filter in front so that only vertical polarized photons of light come through for one projector and only horizontally polarized photons of light come through for the other projector. That's right. And once you add those two together, you end up with 100% of the light. So mm-hmm. it's not that you're only limiting to a very small amount of light. It's anything that has any vector that's vertical goes through one and any, and any, one that, and, and, and any uh, light that has a vector that's horizontal goes to the other one. So you're not... Right. It's not, not a small amount of light you're letting through. In fact, the efficiency is about, uh, through polarizers, uh, the best polarizers these days, like the ones we have in our projectors, is about 80% of the light of any given polarization goes through it. So that efficiency is very good for, okay. uh, for something like that. So you are, though, losing 20% of the light coming yeah. from the light engine mm-hmm. as it passes through the polarizer and, and heads on towards the screen. That's right. Okay, and then it gets reflected from the screen mm-hmm. and passes through polarizers in the glasses, polarizing right. filters in the glasses. Yep. And uh, then you lose another 20% also there. So you end up mm-hmm. with a total of about 70%, something like that, 60, 68% of your light. Uh, well, if you're losing 20% outgoing and 20% incoming, 
I would seem to me you're getting 60% of the light that originated in, in the uh, LED. Okay. <laughs> it's still a lot more than, than, yeah. uh, than shutter glasses or Dolby 3D, or Dolby or Infotech. Right. And, and, what, and what can happen with, with our system is uh, you can essentially use one screen for both 3D and 2D because uh, you have 60% of uh, the light of a single projector when, when you run both projectors simultaneously. So you can use, you can essentially uh, not have to optimize your screen for the brightness of 3D or 2D. You can just pick uh, one. Now, wait a second. You said you can use the same screen for 3D and 2D. Yes. But in the case of the polarizing system, which is what you are using in the Runco, you need a special polarization-preserving screen, right? That's correct. You do, and which so is you, a which is a silver screen. It 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 looks almost. It's not a mirror exactly, but it it does have a definite silver color to it. Now, I've always believed that that such a screen was not ideal for two D viewing. In particular, it's got a very high gain mm-hmm. uh, and a relatively narrow viewing. Thus, a relatively narrow viewing angle and po- problems with hot spotting and so on like that. I mean, I think. If I'm not mistaken, your the screen you guys were using at CES or CDA, I can't remember where, was a, was one from Korea with a gain of ten for heaven's sakes. Yes, it did, and uh, no one complained about hotspots. Well, so, uh, uh, looking at looking at the 3D material, maybe not. But what about looking at 2D material? We didn't see any of those during the demo. There's no difference between 2D and 3D for hotspotting. Really? Why would there be any difference? Hmm. Well, I can't can't think of a reason now that you mention it. <laughs> so, you know, when people say that, you know, I, I agree that sometimes you want to make compromises to get the fad thing, the 3D, I suppose, where you can mm. say, oh, it's okay if it hotspots for 3D, but it's not okay if it hotspots for 2D. But I don't take that opinion myself. Mm. I think it shouldn't hotspot in either case. And, you know, the reason that people didn't complain about hotspotting for our 10-gain screen that we used at Cedia and by the way, it's a 12-foot wide screen, so mm. it's quite a bit larger than a typical consumer would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hence the reason, the need for the high gain. Uh, the, it wasn't hotspotting because it's curved. And when you curve a screen, you can remove all hotspotting, 100%. Ah, there's your factor the right I hadn't taken into, into account. So just like, um, you know, it's kind of like the way a Newtonian telescope works. If you have... It's the reverse. So a Newtonian telescope, you have parallel light coming in and it gets converged to a spot, to a single mm-hmm. focus. Uh, in this case, you have a single focus that gets diverged to a uniform brightness. So if ah, you because the, focus, the projector, of course, is acting like a, like a point source, essentially. That's correct, yes. And so you really want to have the projector at the focal point of the screen curvature, right? That's right, yep. And... Uh, what happens is the, the screen manufacturers choose the curvature of the screen for a reason. It's not, it's not a random thing, and they pick the ones that correspond to the typical placements of projectors in a home theater. Mm. And uh, there are different ways to curve the screen, of course. I remember you and I talking about this offline. Uh, mm. There's cylindrical curvature, which means that the top and bottom are straight and the sides curve inward. There's also spherical curvature in which the top and bottom curve in and the sides curve in as well. What uh, yeah. What's the difference there? 
Uh, the difference is just in how it's curved. So it either acts like a, it either acts like a lens in two directions or in one direction. Uh, I see. So uh, uh, just the cylindrical screen works in pretty well to get rid of hotspots because uh, the 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 screen is shorter than it is than it is wide. So mm-hmm. in other words, where you have the most gain where you have the most gain issues is is along the width of the screen especially if it's 2.35 to 1 mm-hmm. so uh, if you curve it in that direction which is the horizontal direction so making it a cylinder with respect to the audience that gets rid of the vast majority of the hot spotting and that's in fact what Stuart does with their uh with their curved system that they have for their 5d screen and we would certainly recommend doing that uh for any any high gain screen including those for 3d the thing about the high-gain screens is once you overcome the challenges of the high-gain screens, then suddenly your LED projectors, which are kind of brightness challenge right now compared to some of the lamp-based projectors, mm-hmm. become, become really useful even on fairly large screens. So you have a great 2D solution you know, with all the advantages of the LED, the lifetime and, and uh, the infinite on-off contrast and uh, the, the huge color gamut. Plus you get... The brightness that you need because you have a high gain screen and b- by the way if you get the d73d you also get 3d at the same time <laughs> so i've, I've often said it. that 3d is going to be a feature that sort of comes along with with higher end displays it's going to be like um you know online content uh, or anything like that it's just you buy a high-end projector or flat panel or whatever soon if not already is it's just going to come with 3d and that's going to sort of be a feature yeah i think that's true i believe it's kind of like the um you know back when pcs were fairly new to home users there were all kinds of add-in cards you could get memory upgradable everything else and it's not that people would use it they just want to have the uh the comfort of having something that uh could be useful to them someday Mm mm-hmm but 3D, um, I mean, but 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 a lot of 3D content looks fantastic, and it's just a matter of, uh, you know, uh, getting it all out there so that it's not uh, it's not an alien thing anymore. Right. Um, uh, SoCal Ray Jr. in the chat room asks, "How does the light spectrum in the LED light source differ from UHP?" You mentioned earlier that UHP is very spiky, which means that there there are certain wavelengths of light that are a lot stronger than other wavelengths as opposed to xenon which is much sort of more flat and wide mm-hmm. how does led compare to either of those led is actually about in between the two led uh, despite people thinking that of leds as kind of like lasers they really have a fairly broad spectrum and uh they 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 have a great a feature in the way they they exist in their spectrum so they have a dominant wavelength and then they they slowly drop down in a nice Gaussian distribution pattern to the to the rest. It's just like a filament at a, at a filament of a lamp, and so it works. Um, it's much smoother and much more predictable than a UHP lamp, for instance, a mercury lamp. Mm. And the other thing, and, and one thing about mercury lamps is, you know, not only is the spectrum spiky, the spectrum changes over the lifetime of the lamp. Ah, good point. Especially in the red. The red is located at the, you know, you have a little tiny arc. And as the arc grows over its lifetime, the red is at the ends of the arc. And so the red gets out more and more out of focus 
as the lamp gets older, so you end up getting a cyan shift or away from red of your white point uh, hmm. as your lamp ages. Because the, the arc is, is actually a, a, a spark, if you will, an, elect, an electrical arc that goes between two electrodes that are very close to each other. And as over time, those electrodes decay mm-hmm. and the gap between them grows wider. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's, that's true. That's okay. exactly what happens. That's why lamps get old. And eventually it won't be able to strike. And then you have to replace it. Right. And certainly LEDs have the uh, advantage of longevity. They can last, uh, what are you specking them at now? Tens of thousands of hours, I think, right? Yeah, well, we've run life tests. Uh, actually, we, um, the, uh, the, the LEDs are warranted as long as the projector is. So we don't, we don't have a lamp door or anything like that to replace the LEDs. Um, in our testing, we see you know, 50,000 hours of life. Um, and we don't, and, and, you know, with new technology, you always hear the hype and, 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 uh, we try to, the engineers try to ignore the hype to try to figure out what's really there. We ran 16 projectors continuously for life testing to get more than, uh, uh, more than 30,000 hours of testing, uh, to make sure that the life, the decay of the product was what we expected it to be because we didn't want to take any chances uh, that it, that, uh, we'd have problems. So we've done the investment and now we're on our second LED product. So this is, uh, anyway, this is, I'm a great fan of LEDs. Uh, Having worked with UHP since UHP was invented, I have to say that I'm a little tired of UHP. (laughs) (laughs) Not that there aren't great products that use it and, and there aren't continuing to be developments along those lines because UHP, actually mercury lamps, are the most efficient light source there is, period. Right now, mm. um, but, more efficient than LED. That's surprising me. Yes, more more efficient. Yes, more lumens per watt. Absolutely, mm. uh, despite what LED says. Uh, but <laughs> LEDs are so are easier to cool. LEDs are they last longer. They don't drift as much. LEDs uh, are just uh, they're 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 so much easier to design with. So I think it's really especially for home theater, uh, LEDs are going to take over. Now, you mentioned drift as well, and, and we were talking about UHPs, uh, the white point drifting towards cyan as the gap widens as it decays and there becomes less red in the mm-hmm. image. What, how, how are the drift characteristics of LEDs over the, their entire lifetime? Well, LEDs do dim over time. They also dim, by, d- dim over temperature. So uh, what we do is we have a, uh, an automatic essentially calibration that occurs when the projector is turned on, every time the projector is turned on, and every time you change color temperature as well. It, it uh, does a color balance calculation. And we use, have an internal tri-stimulus sensor to, uh, to, to make sure that the, the white point doesn't drift at all. Uh, now, so it's calibrating then, itself regularly, all the time, basically. Yes. Uh, the major calibration occurs at startup, and then uh, it continuously monitors the, uh, the brightness of the three colors all the time it's actually every single frame it's uh it's it's monitoring and mm-hmm. uh it builds a little histogram over time and then decides what to do uh and it and it varies it we aren't we aren't running the leds at full power because we need to have the, the extra headroom allowed to to uh to do the the loop required to self-calibrate continuously so we don't necessarily have the brightest led projector out there but i bet we have the most uh the, the most uniform LED projector out there, you know, mm, and uniform over time. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I assume, of course, the, a, a buyer can hire a calibrator or if they know what they're doing, do it themselves and, and actually calibrate the projector themselves, right? Yeah, sure they can. Uh, they just have to be careful that um, they don't use a, a tri-stimulus colorimeter that was designed for a mercury lamp because it's likely that they'll run into trouble if they do. Ah, of course, because the tri-stimulus uh, colorimeter, which in fact only um, senses red, green, and blue at particular wavelengths, if those red, green, and blue wavelengths are not where it expects them to be, it's going to give you a poor result. Yes, and it will give you a visibly poor result. So you will know immediately that it's wrong just by your eye. Your eye is way better than most color meters at detecting whether white is bad or not. Um, sure. Especially if, you, if, you, if you've seen a lot of images over time, as, as a lot of the professional calibrators have. Sure. But yeah, I mean, there, there are a number of, uh, of uh, new tables that you can get for, to, to make sure that your meter works with, uh, with LEDs. It's not that uh, they can't work. They just need to have an LED calibration curve associated with them. Ah, yes, an offset. Right. A mathematical offset to compensate for the fact that they're looking for a certain red, green, and blue, and what they're seeing is a different red, green, and blue. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> Beatmaster in the chat room asks, uh, doesn't stacking allow full resolution per eye? Clearly it does, right? Clearly, but so does uh, frame sequential or the shutter glasses. Right. But uh, it does, as and it, allow, it also allows full, full bit depth per eye as well. And that, that is one of those things that, especially with DLP, you know, DLP is a pulse with modulated device. In other words, in order to create 50% gray, you have to have the pixel on for half the time and the pixel off for half the time. And then as you cut it up, say 10% gray, you have to have the pixel on for 10% of the time. This is 100% on and then off for 90% of the time. And as you continue to slice that up, so the so-called bit slicing, you end up with a total bit depth of your product. And DLP is really only barely acceptable to me for home theater at 60 hertz. Once you go to 120 hertz, your bit depth has to drop because suddenly you have one half the time to create your grayscale. So mm. or actually slightly, slightly less than that because there's a, there's a dark time as well that has to be put in there to compensate for the fact that the glasses don't switch instantaneously. Right. So there's a black frame insertion between each, yeah. uh, each time the glasses flip. So what you end up with is an image that has less bits, less bit depth than you would really want. And um, to me, it, it bothers me when I see it with, with 120 hertz systems. Not that, not that it's necessarily an awful thing. It's one of those things you just got to be aware of. Your bit depth will drop by at least one bit when you, when you go to 120 hertz. So what you start seeing is when things, when things pan, you'll start seeing uh, contouring in things that move. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, what, I, what we've called in the industry temporal contouring, and it's associated with the fact that in order to make a, the grayscales appear to be smooth, DLP uh, has to dither in, uh, to do that at, at, at low brightness levels, just like plasma yeah. does as well. Sure, um, and, and dithering and, is basically adding randomness or random noise to the signal in order right. to in mask case, this problem. Yeah, it uses a blue noise algorithm, which is a typical dithering algorithm for that's used in still photography the, the thing about it it uh the dithering becomes apparent when things move though so as as things move across the screen the dithering really can't keep up what it comes down to and you start seeing the base 
contouring of the image. You start seeing the native bit depth of the image if it, things move. Mm-hmm. And you will know. And so, um, one thing, if you're a, a real video file and you look at a continuous system like the D73D versus a 120 hertz system, everything else being equal, you will see far more contouring or banding, as some people call it, on the 120 hertz system when it's running mm. at 120 hertz. Right, right. And in particular in 3D mode, when you right. are seeing uh, only 60 hertz per eye, and therefore, as you say, fewer bits, fewer a lower bit depth per eye. That's right. That's right. Is this this is also true of uh, plasma and LCD flat panels because they are all active uh, glasses. It's true of plasma because plasma also pulses with modulates. Uh, for LCD, I think the the artifacts are different. I think that the, there's the switch on switch off time that starts you start running into with LCD. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really shut off completely. It can't really change the pixel entirely at 120 hertz. It maybe can go most of the way, but it can't go all the way, and you see mm. that as ghosting. Which um, is why can, a lot of LCDs have black frame insertion uh, built right. in as well. Yeah, you've got black frame insertion, and you also, you also change the duty cycle of your glasses in order to compensate so that you don't, uh, so that you actually put up black uh, for a, a small period of time. And, right, you know, where, where, where both lenses are closed for that brief period of time. And some of that may have to do with um, the the fact that there aren't standard glasses out there. Generally, aren't at least not for the the uh, LCDs of the world. And it might yeah, be- this is a big bugaboo for me. I just I just hate it that they came to market with 3D and did not standardize the glasses. Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's hard for manufacturers to get together if they're going to be competitive with one another it's almost like you you need a standards committee to do it for you to shove it down your throat yeah you know i know i know that that's certainly a factor but taking an example from my previous life as a journalist in the pro audio world uh I, i i look at midi the musical instrument digital interface and all the manufacturers who were deathly competitors to each other. I mean, they wanted to kill each other. They wanted to see each other die. Uh, but they sent their engineers, all their engineers, into one room and said, we've got to come up with a system that will allow all of our products to talk to one another. And they did. And almost 30 years later, MIDI is still functioning, and it didn't, you know, it it, it rose all, rising tide floats all boats, right? And it, it did exactly yeah. that. So why can't the consumer electronics manufacturers do this, learn from history, for God's sake. It's a very good question. Uh, I don't know. They're in <laughs> lots of different countries. They have very low profit margins these days. Well, that's I true. Know. I really don't know. And uh, yeah. uh, all I can say is that our 120 hertz systems, which we do offer on, on, on our higher, very high-end projectors, are compatible with multiple shutter glass technologies. Uh, we can use the expand... Um, and some of the other ones that are out there as well. Mm-hmm. We, we aren't we aren't stuck with one. So, but you get, you achieve full resolution in both eyes differently by having the two separate projectors. In the case of the D seventy three D, yes, they are continuous, so both eyes are on all the time, and that means that uh, you end up with no flicker. So that's one of the other issues with one hundred and twenty hertz is that there is a significant portion of the population that will see flicker even at that speed because you have two 60 hertz 
um, streams that are only 50% duty cycle. That, in other words, are black half the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and when they're out of phase with your eyes, they're, they're, on, they're 180 degrees out of phase for each eye. So the, uh, the, the flicker fusion frequency is above 120 hertz for many people. And that's why Real D chose to go with 144 hertz uh, for the movie theaters. You know, they triple right. flash the 24 hertz in order to try to get to a, to a level that's high enough so that most people would be fine with the flicker. They also yeah, have very and, good images. In other words, they wouldn't see the flicker. Right? They wouldn't be aware of it. That's right. Yeah. I was going to mention uh, Real D in the theater, uh, which, is, which achieves full resolution in both eyes by quickly alternating the polarization of the image coming off the projector. So it'll flash the right eye polarization and then the left eye polarization and then the right and then the left and the right and the left at 144 hertz, as you say. Right. Which which gives us full resolution in each eye from a single projector. Yes, it does. And um, it's um, that polarization switch. And that's one of the reasons that they're circular polarized for that system is because the switch relies on the fact that it's circularly polarized. So um, it would be hard to make one that, that works with linear polarization. Um, ah, I didn't realize lin- that. I, that lin- was my, I was curious to know why they use circular polarization. And we should say, by the way, to those that might not uh, understand this, we were talking earlier about linear polarization, which is vertical or horizontal. Circularly polarized light is even stranger. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> And it's, it's just probably a different coordinate much, system. <laughs> it's a different coordinate system, but basically the light waves actually corkscrew through space. Mm-hmm. And they either corkscrew in a right-handed manner or a left-handed manner, or clockwise right. or counterclockwise, however you want to however you want to talk about it. And that's what Real D uses in so when you go out to the cinema to see 3D, you're gonna see circularly polarized light. Um, as opposed to the Runco system and actually IMAX 3D, which does use stacked projectors and they use linear polarization. Yeah, in fact, um, what kind of uh, inspired me to even venture down the path of linear polarization uh, was after I saw Avatar at both a Real D cinema and at an IMAX 3D cinema. And I greatly enjoyed the IMAX one better because I'm very flicker sensitive. Ah, there you go. So again, it's a, then then that's an, a sort of an individual issue, which can also relate to: Are you particularly sensitive to DLP rainbows, for example? Because some are more, and some are some people are more sensitive, some are less. Yes, I am, and I've been an advocate of getting this the color refresh rate as high as humanly possible. So on the D73D, which is a single chip DLP, but it has no color wheel, it has an equivalent color wheel speed of 20x or 20 times. So each color refresh is 20 times per frame. That's ah, and mo- could- the most common color wheel frame rate is, or a refresh rate is like six times, right? Six times is the most common, yes. Although for yeah. business projectors, uh, you get down to three times sometimes. So, right, but with uh, business when, when projectors, it, it sort of doesn't matter. Yeah, well, some people, some enthusiasts think that they can get away with using business projectors for home theater. And, you know, they, and I'm all for trying out stuff and, and, and seeing what's out there and educating you know, by tr- by fire, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. truth is that business projectors produce really poor uh, home theater images in general. Yeah. Now, the the oh. disadvantage of linear polarization is that if you tilt your head, uh, you start getting crosstalk, which That's is right. 
you, you start the, your right eye starts seeing the left image and vice versa. So yeah. doesn't that mean you have to kind of hold your head in a vice? Uh, well, you actually, what happens is your head actually naturally goes to a position where the crosstalk is least because you're kind of training yourself. The, the, the thing that's, that's um, you know, IMAX uses uh, linear polarizers and they don't get a whole lot of complaints about ghosting and they don't tell people to keep their heads at horizontally. The truth is linear polarizers are, are more efficient are, are, have better crosstalk performance than circular up until about five degrees of tilt. So if you're, if you're holding your head less than five degrees, and generally you are because your eyes are pretty horizon sensitive, uh, then uh, you will get a, you'll get a higher you know, eye-to-eye contrast with a linear polarizer than you will with a circular polarizer. Now, all that being said, uh, we understand that some people enjoy the idea of tilting their head even though the, you know, uh, the other thing about it is uh, the, the 3D itself uh, was designed for a left eye and a right eye, not, a le- uh, not eyes that are oriented at an angle. So yeah, you're gonna true start, enough. What happens is when your brain tries to fuse together two images that are right and left, but you tilt your head, then your eyes start moving up and down in order to compensate. And your eyes really don't like doing that very much. So, you know, even with circular polarization, you will start to get a, a pretty big headache uh, if, you, uh, if you tilt your head, even though the, the ghosting does not go up. Right. This is very fascinating because LG just recently announced that they are going to start offering uh, polarized uh, filters for their LCD 3D TVs, and they're advertising it with a guy lying on a couch, basically lying horizontal and saying, <laughs> see, you can watch 3D TV while lying on your couch. <laughs> uh, I don't think that that's a good idea. <laughs> but anyway, what you're saying, uh, it sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, re- regarding the, the circular polarization, we are, we will allow people to use circular polarizers if they want to. And we can certainly, uh, there will be a slightly more expensive to provide them with our products, but mm-hmm. uh, we will, uh, we will certainly uh, uh, be able to, to, yeah, and anyone wants them, they can certainly get them. We aren't right. renting that. We will uh, have I was, an option for that. I was actually thinking about bringing my, my real D glasses uh, up when I visit you guys uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. Uh, but I guess I, there's no real reason to do that, is there? Uh, we might be able to. Well, yeah, I, can't, I don't think so right now. It uh, wouldn't be a good idea. Um, all our glasses that, that we're currently using in engineering are linear. Right. That's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, that that reminds me, though, that I want to tell everybody that uh, I will be visiting Runco, which is located in Beaverton, Oregon, uh, tomorrow and Wednesday to take an actual close close up look at the D seventy three D myself, and we'll certainly be writing about that on ultimateavmag dot com. So be looking for that later in the week. So can um, I go back to uh, the frame sequential thing again, one more time? Sorry. So the one more issue with frame sequential 3D. Oh, please. Go right ahead. So you know how I, I talked about seeing Avatar in both Real-D and in IMAX 3D. One thing right. that I noticed I noticed uh, quite uh, strongly, uh, the, uh, the biggest difference that I saw was the fact that there were more motion artifacts with the Real-D system. And I hmm, think such that as? To, uh, you mean like a stuttering or uh, blurring? Yeah. Or what, what do you mean specifically? 
so stuttering. Essentially, um, it looked like things were when things were moving, they would do this. They they would have a uh, a very stuttered appearance to them. I think it has Chick- to do with the trip triple flash that they do. Mm-hmm. So they're essentially. I've, I've re- noticed that in particular things in, that are supposed to be in the far foreground that are closer to you. Sure, sure. But um, with our with the D seventy three D with you know what we call constant stereo constant stereo vision, uh, we we show it at twenty four hertz. We don't we don't have to you know step every other frame at one hundred and forty four hertz in order to show you moving images to prevent flicker. So we actually, if it's a 24 hertz source, we will give it to you at 24 hertz, and so you shouldn't see any motion artifacts associated with that. You you don't uh, you don't project each frame more than once. I mean, Just even once? a 2D movie theater will will show each frame two or three times, a double or triple uh, flash. Not these days. Not for DLP. Really? 24 hertz. Yep. 24 hertz is what you see. Not 48 or or 72 nope. or 96, huh? Nope. The only reason you need to do that is because of the 50% duty cycle of film projectors. And, but DLP is 100% duty cycle. In other words, it's, you know, if you're just showing a static image, it's zero hertz. There's, it's zero frames per second. And True. so you don't, you don't need to, uh, there's no flicker issue with showing things at a low frame rate. The only issue is the, t- the standard problem of 24 hertz in general, the fact that motion can appear strange if you pan quickly and that's what cinematographers and camera people have been dealing with for a long time now mm. but uh but you're saying that when i go to see a digital presentation of a 2d movie which actually i did last night went and saw rango um that uh that i'm seeing actually 24 frames per second yes you are wow now, certainly, if you get the frame rate down below a certain level, you're going to start seeing it appear to be a series of still images moving quickly. That's correct. And that's, I mean, that's the whole reason why it shot at 24 hertz in the first place. It's kind of like the, the lowest frame rate you can have uh, to, 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 to effectively show motion. But that's Smooth just, motion. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, with digital cinema, the, the whole double flash phenomena is now gone it's it hasn't existed i mean if you see a film on a real film projector it will double flash because it's it'll be 48 hertz at 50 percent duty cycle in order to prevent apparent flicker but if it's a digital presentation it will be 24 hertz 100 percent duty cycle and And duty uh, cycle by the way just for those who don't know is the percentage of time that the image is on the screen versus the percentage of time the image is not on the screen and the screen is black that's right uh, wow. Well, you learn something new every day. I thought digital still double and triple flashed, but uh, nope. but you're telling me it doesn't. That's amazing. Hey, it's just uh, it's one of those technology things. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's like LCD monitors now can run at 24 hertz if you want them to and they won't flicker. So once you've gone away from the phosphor decay of CRTs, then you can, whenever you have a continuous uh, display, then the frame rate really actually kind of becomes variable. You can do use whatever you want and you won't see any flicker. Now, this is very interesting because it brings up something that's peripheral, but pardon me for if I go off on a tangent here a little bit. Um, I was talking with a plasma guy about the difference between uh, 120 hertz LCD or 240 hertz LCD for that matter 
and 600 hertz plasma and how those those two things are really apples and oranges and you can't really compare them but what he was saying was an LCD keeps the image on the screen for the entire 60th of a second or 120th of a second or 240th of a second and and the problem with a 60th of a second anyway is that if you something is moving your eye is going to going to continuously sweep to where it expects that to be but it's not going to be there because it's frozen for a 60th of a second, which is how you get motion blur, as opposed to plasma, which, as you said, uses um, uh, pulse width modulation and basically flashes the image many times in microsecond intervals rather than millisecond intervals. And that gives your eye a better sense of, of where it is, and that, which is why it's sharper. Now, do you agree with that analysis? <laughs> Well, the basic uh, idea of uh, having higher frequencies and more frames uh, certainly uh, would create less motion problems. So, you know, if, if, if you show a, what's taken with a film camera, let's say with a 50% duty cycle shutter, in other words, 50% of the time it's on and 50% of the time it's off, and you project that the same way that you shot it, then it will look exactly the same as... as, as the way you shot it, I mean, the way it was supposed to look. If you show it at 100% duty cycle, like on a DLP or on an LCD, then it may look a little strange because you get less of that strobe effect and you, you are, the position is not correct as you're moving across the frame. Um, but uh, so to that extent that that uh, statement was correct, the thing about 600 hertz plasma is that still the frame rate is 60 hertz. So it doesn't help. It's the, the 600 hertz is really kind of like saying, you know, DLP is 10,000 hertz. And, you know, because every, every mirror can move at, you know, one ten thousandth of a second. But that doesn't, it's the base frame rate that you need to compare. It's not the, uh, the actual highest frequency you can create with each pixel. Mm, that's a good point. Frame rate is the same in both cases. If it's the same, then you'll have the same motion artifact unless you strobe. So you can have dark time. If you create, if you put dark time between the, uh, the, the, when you show the, the, the images, then mm -hmm. you create more of a strobe effect and you create, uh, and you'll be, have a better, less blurring of the image when you do that. And depending on mm -hmm. how it was shot, that might be appropriate. If it wasn't shot that way, then it may not be appropriate because... If you're shooting it at 60 hertz and you have a 100% shutter, let's say on a CMOS camera, for instance, then if you display it 100% duty cycle, it will look exactly the same as the way you shot it. So it all depends on on which on on on, on how you want on, on how it was mastered in the first place, whether that's mm. appropriate. So some of our higher end DLP projectors uh, have an ability to add dark time in between frames in order to make images look better when they're moving. Typically, that's only done for, uh, it's not done for movies, it's done for like simulation and things like that. It's really done in, in, in the context of where people, uh, you know, may get, may get sick because of the blur or things like that. In, in movies, generally, they're shot so that they don't make you sick. <laughs> so they, they're already, they already know what to do to, to, uh, to, to right. make the image I do palatable. Most most movie cameras shoot at 100% duty cycle or or 50%? Generally, they don't. So, it, you know, uh, I think one of the first big movies that came out that was shot in video, uh, well, actually after Star Wars, uh, was uh, um, Apocalypto. 
and uh, there were some scenes that were shot very with a very fast with a large dark time between uh, between images to create uh, kind of a, almost a sports type strobe effect, but other scenes were shot with much much closer to 100 percent. So it all depends on on what you're looking for, in in the way you know. Mm. And of course, so that, in, in order in order to figure out what you're looking for, you have to know how things are going to be projected as well. So, which you can't I, know I, altogether because uh, you know the, yeah. your movie's going to be in some film theaters, some digital theaters, and so on. Yeah, I suppose whatever they use for their dailies is what they ended up figuring out what they wanted to optimize for. Mm. So you, you, these days, it's it's often a digital projector. Yes, uh, Beatmaster asks in the chat room: Aren't three project three chip projectors the way to go you you mentioned that the d73d is a single chip with uh, leds flashing much faster than color wheels but couldn't you do uh, even better with three separate chips one for red one for green and one for blue uh you could um leds don't scale that well when you go to 100 percent brightness so leds actually like to flash they're more efficient when they're flashing than when they're full on Mm. so if you were to create a three chip projector with leds it would not be twice as bright or three times as bright as a single chip projector with LEDs. Uh, it would be a little bit brighter and you would also get the other good things that you get with having three chips. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we have two, two eyes continuously on when you have three chips, you've got three chips continuously on. So you get even more bit depth potential there and mm-hmm. you get a much, you get a smoother image with the least amount of dithering, uh, per frame. Now, you know, when you have three chips, you have the issue of, uh, of uh, convergence all of a sudden. So with single chip, you have no convergence issues unless you have right. two projectors, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't talk about that actually. And maybe that should be uh, one of our last topics here at the end of the hour um, okay. is converging those two projectors. They've got to be pretty precisely converged. Uh, how do you yeah. go about doing that? Well, uh, that was one of the biggest issues that we had uh, going into this project. We thought, well, you know, do we have to, you know, spec some ultra-low distortion projection lenses on this product in order to actually make it work? Well, the answer was no. What we did instead is we provide a warp algorithm, a nine-point image warp system that actually uh, that, that, uh, will, that, that allows you to adjust one projector to match the other projector. You can grossly align the images with your basic optical controls, your focus, zoom, horizontal and vertical offset controls. And then to get the last couple of pixels or the last pixel or so, you use a uh, a warp algorithm that uh, and we only warp one image. It's uh, you know the the uh, the right eye image, which is usually the image that's the lower bandwidth image on a 3D Blu-ray anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, you warp it to match, and you end up within within a half a pixel of uh, of the other projector, and so you don't see any any problems at all, even at the largest offsets, or even when we use anamorphic. You know, we, we have a, a stacked projector system that can use anamorphic lenses. Nobody else can do that. And the only way you can get away with doing it is by having a, a really good warping algorithm in order to compensate for the two different lenses. Hmm. Uh, so, you, I, in fact, I did see this at CD, I believe, uh, where you, you move the anamorphic lenses in front of the primary lenses. You can show a 235 or 240 um, image on, a, on the, a, an appropriate screen of that aspect ratio without right. seeing any black bars and yep. uh, what you're saying is with the al- with the warping algorithm uh you can align them so precisely that even doing that even passing them through that much optics uh things look nice and sharp 
That's correct. And uh, it looks fantastic. And, well, you I'm... know, it's just Sorry, one of those ahead. things that on, on top of all these different little steps we made in this project, we end up with this package that works really well and it's very easy to set up. And uh, it's, it's, uh, we're quite proud of it, actually. So, well, and uh, I sure look forward to seeing it um, on Wednesday when I'll be able to actually spend several hours looking at 3D material and um, uh, some test patterns. And uh, you have some test equipment up there, so I'll be able to actually do some measurements mm-hmm. and see how close to the proper color gamut. That's always one thing I worry about, speaking of which, color gamut. Uh, you said that LEDs have a really wide color gamut, and that's mm-hmm. all well and good except that all the content we have is mastered and created for a particular color gamut. So if a projector or a display device can ex- can display a wider one that is more colors than the content has, that's a red flag to me because I want to make sure it can it can come down to the color gamut that it needs to in order to reproduce the content accurately. Right, and uh, that was also a big concern of mine when we first started the LED project in at the very beginning, you know, two and a half years ago. So what we have in our system is a, you know, a, a uh, six-axis CMS that uh, you can adjust the color points and the color brightness for, for six different colors and your white uh, in order so that you can end up with as good a calibrated system as you want. Um, now, I will say, though, that uh, even... We we have a special setting called Runco Native, which uses the full gamut and uh, changes the, uh, the the way the hues are shown to compensate for the the sunburn look and things like that. It makes flesh tones; it brings them back to what they would be under Rec. Seven Hundred Nine. But it also allows you to have the really bright colors for like uh, sports, um, for daytime activities that you knew were there to start out with, and the camera person and the broadcasters wanted to show you those colors but they couldn't and so we have that mode that allows you to see them <laughs> so you're reading the minds of the broadcasters and the content providers and the cameraman huh i just know what things look like outside and they don't look like the muted especially that red that rec 709 red uh that uh that that that, that exists with our standards uh you know i, I mean we it, it can be calibrated as a perfect rec 709 monitor too if you want so there's no there's no downside to uh, to having the larger gamut. Great, wonderful. Well, I'm sure you're looking forward to seeing it and uh, to seeing you on uh, on Wednesday. And meanwhile, I want to thank you, uh, Bob Williams, for being my guest geek on today's show. Uh, fascinating stuff. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been uh, been an honor. My pleasure. Uh, to read more about Runco, uh, the Runco D73D, and other Runco products, uh, simply go to runco.com. My online homes are ultimateavmag.com, hometheatermag.com, actually hometheater.com now. We just changed that URL. Uh, You can email me at scott at twit.tv and follow me on Twitter at htgeekscott. Next week, my guest geek is scheduled to be Jerry Mahabub, CEO of Gen Audio and the inventor of Astound Sound 3D audio technology. Now, this is a really cool 3D simulation technology so i sure hope you will tune in at that time until then geek out